This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. I'm David Brenner, the Vice Chancellor for Health Sciences, and it's my pleasure to moderate this health talk. Today's topic is um, our efforts um, in student mental health and well-being. This is a particularly critical topic um, for today because in addition to the normal stresses of, um, of college life, we've now added the additional stress of the um, COVID-19 pandemic. As you'll hear, UC San Diego is uh, uniquely positioned to, um, to tackle um, th th this um, issue and to make um, UC San Diego a model for um, how you provide student mental health and well-being. Um, to start, I would like to turn it over to our Chancellor, Fadeep Kosla. Thank you, Dr. Brenner. UC San Diego is committed to ensuring that every Triton has the opportunity to thrive. And along with many of our student support and success programs, quality counseling and effective mental health resources are key to making this commitment a reality. Student mental health is designated as a system-wide priority throughout UC Health and throughout the UC. And UC San Diego has been at the forefront of this initiative. In fact, back in 2018, when the UC published the Mental Health Service Guidelines for the 21st Century, it included much of UC San Diego's research and initiatives. And if ever there has been a moment in recent history that highlighted humanity's physical vulnerability, the last year was it. It also showed that how important mental health care is and how fragile the balance is between mental health and mental distress. While all of us have had a chance to adjust to the new stresses of the enduring worldwide epidemic, one of the most acute issues to arise has been mental health, have been mental health issues. And this is especially true for students, young adults facing new challenges in learning, living on their own and far away from home. This need is not new, but merely more visible and more urgent now. Our health and Department of Psychiatry are integrated with the student health and well-being, one of the few UCs where this integration has happened. And this makes us uniquely positioned to transform our student mental health care, identify avenues for scalability, and disseminate what we learn to other institutions. We have invested nearly a decade into improving and bolstering our student mental health offerings. And our teams are committed to transforming student mental health on campus through a transparent assessment of both strengths and gaps, as well as the desire to innovate. And most importantly, all of this is for our students, the future generation that we're educating and training. We have a responsibility to enable each and every one of our students to flourish. And I can guarantee you as chancellor, I'm committed to it. So Dr. Brenner, I wanna hand this back over to you now. Thank you, Pradeep. Um, so our speakers um, will share the various ways in which um, UC San Diego is trying to break down barriers um, to, to our student success. There are several layers to this. Um, we have an approach that's called precision mental health in which um, individual um, students' care is, indi is individualized precisely to their needs. Um, we have a full range of services um, for each student to try to help them. And um, finally, we have a campus community and resources that, that will try to encourage um, wellness as an overall principle at UC San Diego. 
So first, let me introduce our um, executive vice chancellor. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Simmons. She is going to talk about UC San Diego's commitment to student successful academic engagement and how mental health is an integral part of this. Elizabeth. Thanks so much, David. It's really an honor to be uh, here with you, the other panelists and our uh, esteemed guests to talk about this very important um, uh, project. As a student-centered university, UC San Diego takes an inclusive and integrative approach to supporting students because as the chancellor indicated, we have to empower every Triton to succeed. And this means that we're dedicated to caring for the whole student during their time on campus where they have academics, they have perhaps uh, athletics and recreation, they have um, co-curricular aspects to what they're doing, student organizations work, many different facets that they need to succeed in, but we're also preparing them for what comes next in life, whether it's going to be graduate studies or moving uh, directly into a career. We want to set them up for lifelong success. And we recognize here that mental health and well-being are really integral and foundational in any success that you might uh, be having in the studio, the lab, the classroom, um, just like other essentials such as food security or housing insecurity. Mental health and well-being well are really on that same basic level of must-haves. So in um, really in alignment with our commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion, we recognize that mental health issues impact everybody differently, and the pandemic has also impacted everybody differently, and different people are facing different layers of challenges, maybe challenges that they hadn't encountered before, particularly those from traditionally vulnerable populations or those who are not as typically included in higher education to begin with. So this has all prompted us to rethink how we're approaching mental health and well-being here on our campus to meet the unique needs of each Triton. And we are pursuing this collectively through what we call an ecosystem of support. And on the next slide, there's a sketch of an ecosystem starting from the student, all the different facets um, of our students, um, their academic aspirations, where they come from in life, their family, um, spiritual background, all sorts of all sorts of different elements that they bring to our campus. And then they're enmeshed in an academic and co-curricular layer that has to do with the courses they're taking, um, additional tutoring or coaching options that they may take advantage of to help themselves advance. And then there are additional layers to do with uh, other high impact uh, experiences they might have like research or study abroad interacting with our highly diverse faculty, and then moving out into a university-wide layer that includes resource centers and hubs that help the students in broader areas of their lives as well. And finally, out into the community that UC San Diego is embedded in, which draws our students with paid internships, opportunities to work with alumni and learn from alumni, do community-based learning or research, particularly now in our in the uh, downtown uh, building at Park and Market that we're going to be opening soon, and working sometimes with partner schools on particular projects. And so we see our students as embedded in this entire ecosystem of student success. But today, as the next slide shows, we want to focus on the students' mental health and well-being 
both thinking about it from the perspective of the individual student and as that piece of the ecosystem. And so if we look at the next slide, then it shows this um, network that we are establishing that encompasses academic affairs, which I lead, student affairs, you'll be hearing from the Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs, um, the Department of Psychiatry, you'll be hearing from the leader, and then student health and well-being, student health services, which you'll again hear, hear from the leader today. It also includes um, many different detailed facets, and you can explore the slide later to see, to see all of the different details, special things for students with disabilities, um, students who uh, need help securing their basic needs for housing or food security, and uh, perhaps most important, our um, Office of Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, led by Vice Chancellor Becky Pettit, which oversees campus community resource centers um, directed at particular populations who, um, again, have been less included in higher education in the past. There's a Black Resource Center, La Raza Resource Centro, an Intertribal Resource Center, and so on. And so this network, we work very closely together. We talk every day. We're in constant communication. We plan things together so that we can support the whole student um, in everything that we do. And you'll be hearing more details from my colleagues uh, as, as we move through the talk today. But just going to what I think is my, um, I think is my final slide, just reminding you we're starting from the viewpoint of empowering every single Triton to succeed. We're trying to create an ecosystem. As you've seen, these ecosystems, these networks, it comes down to changing the culture of the university so that anybody who joins the university feels themselves to be welcome, belonging, and well-supported in anything they might need. So we're underpinning this then with uh, comprehensive portfolios of support services that are developed in very collaborative ways so that a student never has to wonder, which office do I go talk to? Instead, wherever they start, wherever they contact the network, they are then guided to where they need to be to get the help that will uh, enable them to, to flourish. And above all, we want our students to be able to understand where they need to go to get whatever they need and that there's no stigma attached. We all need some help in life with many of the things we encounter. Mental health and well-being are no different. We welcome the, our students joyfully in uh, supporting them in their mental health and well-being. So thank you for being here. And I know that my colleagues will um, present further details. Thanks, Dr. Brenner. Thank you, Elizabeth. That was, that was incredibly helpful. Um, the next speaker um, is our, um, the CEO of the health system, um, Patty Mason. Um, Patty, um, Pradeep, and I made this commitment that UC San Diego was going to be one of the very few student health systems that's an integral part of an academic medical center. So hopefully Patty can explain how that happened and how the entire strength of the academic medical center, including the Department of Psychiatry, and we'll hear from the chair in a moment, um, is able to be used to improve um, student mental health. Patty, please. Thank you, Dr. Brenner, and thank you, EBC Simmons, um, and thanks for being here today. Um, just to say on the front end, I, and I think both our chancellor and our vice chancellor were being quite modest about this, um, they made a pretty bold decision back in 2012 to, um, to really um, put 
student health and well-being under the auspices of the UC San Diego Health System and to integrate the health system together with student health so we could bring this, the strength of our academic medical center um, to student health and, and we can also learn from, from student health as well. Um, one of the biggest parts of that was the implementation, I'll go ahead to the next slide, was the implementation of um, the electronic medical records. So we were um, the first UC and really one of the first in the country um, to place uh, student health and well-being on our electronic medical record. Um, and so uh, today every student has a record uh, on my chart um, through Epic is our uh, platform. And what that has done um, is a number of things, but the, the two things I, I'd heighten is from a medical point of view, um, we know, it's, we know what's happening to our students. So if for some reason a student needs the emergency department or they need cancer care, or they need some kind of clinical care that we can provide as an academic medical center, all those records move with the patient and we can seamlessly um, um, provide care to our, our students. The second thing, which turned out to be hugely beneficial for, uh, I think for the students in the pandemic was the, um, um, use of uh, televisits so that, that we could actually offer virtual mental health and actual clinical health um, visits through, um, through the uh, electronic medical record. And, and that means you don't have to go into an office to see a psychologist or to get an appointment. You can actually do it from the, the safety and comfort of your own room or um, wherever you are that's comfortable to you. And so um, that's been a huge benefit, I think, to create access for our students to um, get in to see the professionals that they're looking to see. So when we think about student mental health, and I'm, I'm going to defer most of the clinical conversation about this to Dr. Daskalakis, because this is what he does. But as we think about it from a health system and a health point of view, um, what we want to make sure that we're doing for our students is offering the full continuum of services. So from all students coming on campus and you may have a need once in a while for a group meeting or, or just a touch base or a little bit of coaching or um, some wellness, um, mindfulness, you know, those kinds of services um, that's accessible to all students. And then um, as students potentially move up this continuum um, and experience other kinds of mental health um, issues and, and potentially even quite severe issues, um, you know, there's access to our world-class leaders um, for care. I'll give you an example. If you're an, a student that might have an eating disorder, maybe anorexia or, or bulimia, our eating disorders program is, is one of the best in the country and students will be able to um, have access to those uh, subspecialists to be able to get care and oversight and groups and all the kinds of things that you would need to um, work you through uh, to, to better health. So our goal is to provide this full continuum of services um, so that we can meet students where they are and uh, provide them. We're super excited that we're gonna have a new student health um, physical facility in the next, I'm gonna say five years. Um, if you've been to our, our student health services facility, you know that it's, a, it's an old building um, and so uh, the chancellor, under his oversight, has developed this opportunity to have a brand new student health and well-being building, which will sit really in the crux of the um, new Triton Pavilion development. Um, so we're looking forward to the opportunity to rebuild student health in a way that um, 
will help us maximize um, facilities and move services closer to students um, and really provide um, care in a, in a world-class kind of 21st century facility. So I'm really excited about what that, that might mean for our ability to provide uh, more extensive services to students. And finally, just to, to mention, and David said this in the beginning, um, what, what I'll tell you about the leaders here and the chancellor as well is that um, this is a labor of love for all of us. You know, we are all so committed to ensuring that we're providing um, just great care to our students and great mental health um, care for our students. Um, it's something that we are all deeply, deeply passionate about. We work quite closely with each other um, and communicate quite regularly to make sure that we are um, transforming uh, our services. Um, and as we move forward, um, you know, our goal not to be uh, too aspirational, but you know, we really want to have one of the best uh, student health services in, in the country. Um, we really want to be top five. I'd actually like to be the best student health service in the country if we can get there. So um, transformational leadership and, and great services is going get, to get us there. So thank you, David. Thank you, Patty. That, that was incredible. Thanks so much. Um, so now we're going to hear from three um, content experts who are going to um, present different aspects of um, student mental health. Um, we will start with our um, Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs, Allison Sutherland, and then we'll have our Interim Executive Director of Student Health and Wellbeing, Dr. Angela Sosha, and finally, our new Chair of Department of Psychiatry, Dr. Jeff Daskalakis. So please welcome Vice Chancellor Sutherland. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brenner. It really is an honor and a pleasure uh, to be here with all of you today and to have this very specific special attention uh, directed to student health and well-being, specifically student um, mental health and well-being. So you'll see on my slide um, the, the motivation that brings us all together, um, our students together, smiling, engaged, um, building relationships um, at UC San Diego. Um, I, you know, we work as my colleagues um, and um, our, our shared leadership at UC San Diego has expressed to really put student-centeredness at the heart of everything um, that we do, uh, particularly um, in this space as it relates to student health and well-being. It, it certainly um, is a, a commitment that, as um, CEO Mason shared, is personal to, to many of us as well. And I, I think it's worth calling out here um, before we move uh, further into the presentation that to really transform um, student mental health at UC San Diego and to be the very best in the country, I think we all share that aspiration um, with Patty, that we must invite and respect student voices and empower them to help shape a future that they envision for themselves and each other to ensure equity, inclusion, and success across all aspects of the student experience, and most certainly within the context of student mental health and well-being, and to leverage our students' strengths and intersectional identities to inform our approach to student health and well-being, and to ensure that that process is uniquely suited to each and every one of our students. To really be able to do this well, it's also important for us to know you know, who our Tritons are and uh, to showcase their uh, rich diversity and uh, experience and gifts um, in this space to inform our work in student health and well-being. So I wanted to call out that 78% of our undergraduates are Californians uh, from California. 
Uh, 20% of our graduate of our students are graduate students and professional students. Uh, we're a, a proud uh, first generation uh, undergraduate um, community with 37% of our students being the first in their families to go to a four-year university. 34% of our Tritons are transfer students uh, from a, a community college, um, most often a California community college. 33% of our undergraduates are also Pell Grant recipients, um, which means that they uh, reflect uh, some of our, our most uh, challenged financial socioeconomic um, situations in California, um, uh, uh, particularly from a socioeconomic perspective uh, of low-income student communities. 24% of our Tritons reflect the rich diversity of our uh, incredible state and country with uh, our students uh, reflecting uh, African-American, Black, Latinx, Chicanx, Native American, and Indigenous, Indigenous students. And 30 languages are spoken by our students. That's just incredible when you think about the in, in incredible uh, diversity of experience that that represents. You know, we are home to 43,000 plus uh, Tritons, um, undergraduates and uh, graduate students. We have the second highest military affiliated population in the University of California. It's an incredible point of pride for us. And we're an emerging Hispanic serving institution. I'm given 21% of our, our undergraduates um, identify as Latinx and Chicanx. And I, I, I call out also that 17,000 of our 43,000 students live with us on campus. So we are also a, a small community, a medium-sized town, if you will. Many of our students have um, dependents, um, loved ones that they care for, their, their siblings or, or their own children or their parents. Many of our students work um, full-time or part-time. Many commute. And they have diverse needs and interests and uh, perspectives. And I, I call this out also because this is important for us to know as we approach our work in student health and well-being that all of our students have dreams and deserve health and well-being in order to best achieve those dreams. And, and also um, it's our commitment to all of our, our students that when they come to UC San Diego, um, they can uh, be the, their very best selves. And. Uh, health and well-being is essential to achieving that. I also wanted to, to offer that you know, to be responsive to the many needs and perspectives and, and interests of our, our many Tritons. And we also have to apply our understanding of the health and dimensions of, of well-being uh, to this particular um, challenge and responsibility. Um, so we use the work of, of the wellness wheel uh, to articulate that and, and to call out the, the different multifaceted aspects of student health and well-being, uh, emotional, intellectual, environmental, social, financial, occupational, and, and physical. These all intersect uh, to ensure someone's health and well-being alongside the unique lived experiences that our students bring uh, to the perspectives that they individually have uh, cultivated and how they perceive their own health and well-being. And our approach at UC San Diego takes into consideration these many variables. Um, it also is important to us that we keep this in mind, particularly as we're learning and thinking about innovation. You know, what are our students telling us uh, about the health and well-being needs that they have? Um, and, and that keeps us current. Um, certainly, our students' experiences are unique from our own student journeys, and yet we're all a part of the solution. And therefore, you know, we bring passion and expertise and commitment 
to this intersectional approach to student health and well-being. I also wanted to offer some of the key takeaways from earlier in the, in the presentation, you know, thinking about how critical it is to reduce shame. Uh, mental health should be celebrated similarly to uh, physical health or, or financial well-being. We think about how powerful it is for our, our faculty, our staff, our, our, our students' peers, our, our family members, our, their mentors, and um, you know, the, the, the staff members that they look up to, the, the faculty that they work in labs alongside, you know, to share their own stories, to share your experiences of, of challenge, um, how, how you um, yourself may have uh, built your own resilience or, or responded to a difficult time or, or recognized in, in, in yourself that it was uh, appropriate to, to reach out or accept an invitation uh, for, for care. Um, this is particularly critical to, to normalizing um, student health and well-being when you think about our high-achieving students, um, you think about the, the pressure and, and stressors, um, and anxiety, some of the challenges that they bring with them um, or encounter for the very first time here at UC San Diego. So I invite you to, um, to connect and work with us in that regard. Um, I also want to share, again, you know, being student-centered is also being attentive um, to those um, that you care about. Uh, many of you I know are connected to students in some way. You may be students yourselves or, or uh, uh, serving students through your roles as a faculty, staff member, or alumni, or parent, or, or loved one. You know, be, be attentive to, to changes in um, uh, behavior or, or particular uh, a baseline expectation. That can be an important indicator that um, it's important to reach out, to, to listen, uh, to check in, uh, to, to offer um, your, your care and, and partnership to a student who may be challenged. This uh, is an important part of our work too here at UC San Diego is making sure that um, all of our points of contact um, are informed about campus resources, um, know uh, how to reach out, and that we have a responsive set of, of network and uh, team members and, and providers and partners uh, to provide support to one another, uh, given our relationship that each of us may have to a particular student or community. I want to thank all of you for including me in this conversation today to really point out the role that student-centeredness plays in student health and well-being and our um, aspiration to be the very best uh, student health and well-being provider in the country. And I'd like to now to uh, introduce my, my good colleague and, and friend, Dr. Sosha, our Interim Director of Student Health and Well-Being. Thank you, Allison. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be able to share with you our efforts to support our students' mental health needs. Our goal is to help them develop insight and self-management skills, which allow them to succeed academically and personally, during their time at UC San Diego and throughout their life, long after they have graduated. Undergraduate and graduate school years are periods of incredible growth, but also considerable stress. Our diverse student body, while incredibly bright and high achieving, is under significant pressure. For many, they are the first in their family to go to college. Prior to joining us, almost all of them have been at the top of their class. They're only used to getting A's. And now they're in a very large community with many, many bright individuals. They're worried about failing. They often feel alone without a sense of community. For some who successfully faced mental health challenges before they arrived at UC San Diego, they've lost their support structure and their mental health may deteriorate. For many reasons, we're seeing an increased need for mental health services. While a decade ago, 8% of students sought mental health care, 
that number is now greater than 12%. Here you see the number of students evaluated in the emergency room in gray, those needing inpatient hospitalization in gold, the total in blue. The drop-off in 2021 reflects the remote campus, with the number of students in San Diego greatly reduced due to the pandemic. Our early numbers for fall 21 look very similar to fall 19 prior to the pandemic. We've developed systems to make sure these students receive ongoing care and are well-supported after discharge. This is just the tip of the iceberg of students with mental health needs. The pandemic has impacted key developmental years for our student body. Our first-year students remotely finished high school, and many of our second-year students never set foot on the campus until this fall. The spring National College Health Assessment reflected moderate to high stress in 83% of students with 88% noting the stress increased because of the pandemic. Students will vary in their needs and our approach is to provide access through a variety of services, teams, and venues. Some of our offerings are proactive or preventive and others are in in response to clearly defined need for individual treatment or care. The extent of that care will vary on the needs of the individual. Some issues are less complex and amenable to brief intermittent therapy or treatment, which the CAPS team can provide. For some, the underlying disorder is complex and likely to be lifelong. These students are likely to be referred to our college mental health program, our partnership with the Health Sciences Department of Psychiatry, which provides long-term care for students with serious mental health challenges. Health Promotion Services reaches out to the entire student body with a public health approach to educate students as well as provide basic services, such as health coaching, resilience skills, and nutrition. Our recent Wellbeing Fair held on Library Walk raised awareness of the many resources available to students in a fun and engaging way. This fall, we launched a new online platform, Triton's Care, which offers curated articles covering a wide variety of topics, such as personal relationships, finance, nutrition, and sleep. And we are in the final stages of developing a peer-to-peer program, which will provide access to trained peers, both undergraduate and graduates, 18 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the year. The peers will provide empathy and active listening and share resources available to students. We're particularly proud of this program because it came to us through student leadership. They wanted something like this, and they got us motivated and actually did the exploration to develop this program and have been wonderful partners. Counseling and Psychological Services, or CAPS, offers both individual therapy as well as a wide range of outreach activities. We've expanded the numbers of CAPS providers, increasing not only in number, but also in diversity of providers. We know students will often find it easier to seek care or receive care from a provider who shares their lived experiences. Many students need therapy, and we've worked to increase access to services. Note that in 2021, when we were remote, we pivoted to telemental health, but we were still able to significantly increase the number of students seen as well as the number of follow-up sessions, despite only being able legally to care for students residing in California. The numbers in red from the early weeks of this fall quarter indicate we're on target to significantly exceed visit volume this academic year. In November, three new CAPS providers will join the team, adding even more capacity. We hope to add at least four additional providers in the upcoming months. Demand for mental health care providers is high and recruitment is challenging. In addition to individual therapy, our outreach efforts include forums and daily workshops, which focus on specific topics or reach out to specific communities on campus. 
This is just a small sampling of the various offerings. Almost 1,000 events were provided last year. We also offer, at no cost to the students, it's free to them, access to online self-improvement or skill-building platforms, including Headspace and Tau Therapy Online. These provide evidence-based self-guided sessions on topics of interest to students, such as anxiety, sleep, and mindfulness. The Student Health and Wellbeing newsletter is uh, wonderful and provides access and insight into all the activities that we are offering to our students. It also shares information about the various providers. We have, uh, and we have a great readership, um, 40,000 students a week open up the newsletter. We also have a calendar of events, which is easily accessible to our students on our website, as well as through the UCSD app. The Student Health and Wellbeing team has recently developed integrated multidisciplinary programs for two common disorders seen in young adults. Substance abuse, unfortunately, is a serious issue which can derail a student. This fall, we launched a comprehensive program for students in recovery, including on-campus housing and various weekly meetings supplemented with one-on-one sessions. Our ambulatory eating disorders program launched in the summer of 2020 um, provides integrated multidisciplinary care on campus, complementing and partnering with the excellent intensive outpatient inpatient programs with the Department of Psychiatry that Patty Mason mentioned. These programs are continuing to grow. Our mission is to make it easy for students to get the care and support they need whenever they need it. I would now like to introduce you to Dr. Jeff Daskalakis, the chair of the Department of Psychiatry, who will discuss the college mental health program and share his thoughts on the future of student mental health. Thank you and good afternoon, everyone. My presentation today is focusing on the need for innovation forward thinking to benefit our Tritons and other college students across the country. The slide just highlights um, the um, influences on student mental health. It's The statistics are sobering. 75% of mental health disorders begin before the age of 25, with 50% of all cases beginning by age 14. Even more sobering is the fact that suicide is the second most common cause of death among 15 to 24-year-olds, only after accidents. And, And regrettably, less than half of students receive the professional help they need, and it just to me, emphasizes the importance of service delivery and and building exceptional models of care. Student mental health is influenced by a wide assortment of factors. Uh, These factors used to be referred to as the biopsychosocial model, but is clearly more complex than that. At present, development should be considered in the context of society, community, the local organization, the interpersonal milieu, such as friends and family, and finally factors, for example, biological ones that relate to the individual. And this slide is a figure related to the age breakdown of our student body. As you can see, 19% of our students are between the ages of 16 to 18. 41% of our students are between the ages of 19 and 20. 36% of our students are between the ages of 21 to 25. And finally, 4% of our students are over the age of 25. Another key takeaway from this slide is the point at the bottom of the slide, which is that enrollment has increased by 30% in the last 10 years, but requests for mental health services have increased by 90%. 
And this data emphasizes the need for our ongoing investment in our student mental health services that is at a rate that is commensurate with the behavioral health needs of our students. So this slide highlights the prevalence of mood disorders, including anxiety and depression. On the left is a snapshot on prevalence of mood disorders in different undergraduate academic years. And on the right is a breakdown of the different mood disorder diagnoses, highlighting high rates of both mood disorders, but also high prevalence of mood disorder symptoms, including major depression and bipolar disorder. The slide covers the acute care needs of our most severely ill high acuity students. A key paper from our college mental health program published this past year in the Journal of College Health that was led by Elise Galis and Nancy Downs um, focuses on some important statistics. The first figure on the right highlights the proportion of high acuity visits and reasons for being seen in college mental health. And as you can see in that data, one of the most common reasons to be seen in our acutely ill patients is suicidal thinking. The figure on the bottom is the disposition of those students with acute care visits and the subsequent services they require. And as you can see, there are significant numbers of, of students who require ongoing college mental health um, support, um, support from our outside psychiatrists. If in fact there's a diagnosis of psychosis, making sure that we refer to psychosis specific programs and so on. As noted by the chancellor, the exquisite advantage of our college mental health program is that it is integrated within our campus mental health ecosystem, thus providing integration and subspecialty care within our department. This offers a warm handover of students and care continuity. The integration provides student visibility and access to care innovation happening right now within our department of psychiatry. That includes deep specialty care for things like substance use disorders, eating disorders, mood disorders, um, offering support and longer term care when needed. And finally, we need to continue to innovate and innovate in this specific population to be leaders in this population in the mental health treatments that they require. This slide highlights why innovation is important. We know that medications are effective in this population, but there is a black box warning. And the black box warning suggests that in students under the age of 25, the rates of suicidal thinking can be exacerbated with antidepressants. And so the importance of offering care innovation to this population where there are risks of using antidepressants, driving new treatment approaches is of utmost importance. So how about the need for intervention, innovation? Innovation includes offering new treatment modalities or alternatives to medication. In the last week or two, we've heard of recent advances in brain stimulation methods that have resulted in significant rates of response and remission and with virtually no side effects. And this can impact very positively on our student mental health um, population, particularly those experiencing depression and anxiety. Uh, innovation also includes the utilization of technology, such as psycho psychotherapy. But in this day and age, with the pandemic surrounding us, psychotherapy delivered online is going to be a priority and will be for the next um, generation. 
Obtaining ecological data will also help us to, to garner real, real world information on our students and understand who is benefiting the most from our, our um, innovation, who is benefiting the most from our treatments and being able to track to see who needs care urgently. Pragmatic field trials um, in our student body that can help both improve the care that they receive, but also be able to innovate in that population with, with um, breakthrough treatments to make sure that we are delivering care to our students, but not holding them back from being able to, to access care innovation that they need. And finally, predictive analytics, um, using data to help uh, guide treatment and also understand who is most likely to respond to treatment. So this slide is just highlighting the importance of predictive analytics in our mental health population. Descriptive data on the bottom is typically of low complexity, but also of low clinical utility. When you move up, you see that group differences where we look at populations suffering from mental illness compared to healthy subjects is the mainstay for much of the research that's currently done in mental health. This involves more complexity, but is also limited clinical value. Predictive analytics often involves the most significant and sophisticated methodologies in analytics and is aimed at care innovation and high yield clinical utility a huge priority for our field. And this um, to the right is a paper that we published several years ago, demonstrating that when you look at the physiology of the brain, it could predict nine times out of 10, who was going to go on to successfully be treated. Um, and, and it's just a one simple example uh, that, that we can use predictive analytics to help guide our treatments and determine who is most likely to respond, uh, making sure that that we can predict who responds, when they respond, and which treatments they respond to. The importance of integrating student health within our health system it, it, it includes access to our tripartite academic mission. That includes precision mental health care, um, training and workforce development, and of course, research and innovation. And the goal is to build exceptional innovation locally and expand our exquisite student mental health environment beyond our borders and across the country to make sure that all students in the nation receive the mental health care that they need. This slide highlights our exceptional student health leadership locally, including our living laboratory, which allows us to innovate as part of phase one and in short order expand across the country in the second phase. This is a very exciting time for student mental health. It's exciting time to be leading mental health services for this uh, exceptional university. And I think the innovation is, is tremendous. We're going to learn a lot in the next few years. And I, I, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to share um, some, of our, some of our hopes uh, for the future of student mental health. Thank you everyone for participating. And I'll turn it back over to Dr. Brenner. He's a really outstanding. Um... Um, topics for discussion. So I have lots of questions that people pre-submitted and a couple of people have submitted. Um, the one that I'm most concerned about, and, and maybe I can just throw it open to, to everyone, everyone on the um, panel, how do we destigmatize mental health for students? Uh, I'm just so concerned that at their current, you know, their age and, and where they fit in socially, 
that that it, it it's not regarded as any other you know you know um, medical problem. It's it, it, it has it's uniquely stigmatized. Uh, so I can see Allison nodding her head. So maybe we should start with Allison, please. David, I, I imagine that there are uh, multiple responses to this, given the um, complexities of our, our unique student experiences. But when we think about you know, influential relationships, we know how important peers are, uh, right? And so, you know, engaging in what we refer to as the peer pedagogy, you know, uh, uh, peer engagement, peer trainers, uh, peer uh, health leaders, who are uh, willing and um, prepared to talk about mental health and well-being mm-hmm. and to embrace it, and then also, you know, along um, with that, of course, comes close support and supervision from subject matter experts in the space, so that peers are prepared. Which is why the Triton Pals program that Dr. Sosha um, overviewed is something we're so incredibly excited about. And then, you know, of course, before um, my colleagues also offer this. It, it's when uh, other people who are also important to a student, uh, their loved ones, um, their faculty mentors, um, you know, other influences in their life speak to their own um, um, intimate challenges in this regard and, and the ways that they have um, also tended to their health and well-being. So um, I would offer those and then invite others to speak to the, the topic as well. There's a f- fantastic book that, that, that um, many of us have read. Um, by Sudarkar Mukherjee called The Emperor of All Maladies. And in that book, it highlighted the the huge impact that understanding the biology of cancer led to effective treatments and destigmatization of cancer in uh, in the last century. And I think as we drive innovation and understand the complexity of the brain in relation to mental health, we will also serve to continue to destigmatize. So some of the efforts here today are huge uh, provide huge progress in destigmatization for mental health. And I think as we continue to innovate, discover new treatments and understand brain in relation to mental health, we will continue to, to, to um, fight the winning effort towards destigmatization. And David, if I can just add, and I, I was going to go exactly where Jeff did. And what's so, so exciting about UC San Diego is that our history, our legacy as a department of psychiatry has, has been moving towards the understanding the biology of mental health. And so um, Dr. Daskalakis leads a group of uh, scientists and researchers and physicians who are um, really destigmatizing because of their understanding of the biology. And it really comes down to this simple question. If if I had, um, you know, type one diabetes or I had cancer and I was 18, nobody would say to me, oh, it's your fault. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. If, If my brain has a hiccup and I'm having trouble that's the same thing. And I, and I think, at, you know, as a, a gut level, people really need to embrace that concept. Angela, you want to add something? Yeah, I would say um, just everything's, been, I agree completely with all these comments. One of the things, we, the reason we have so many of these outreach forums and workshops is students can show up to those anonymously. They don't have to, there's no record. And sometimes it's the first entry point and they see others that are struggling with the same issue. And from that, that may bring them in if they need more care. So have that proactive outreach effort is really an important first step um, to expand access to support. Thank you. Um, Allison um, noted that you wanted to answer this question um, live. This is a question from a teacher who says if there's a student approaches um, him about a mental 
health issue, are there any pointers that would help the discussion? So this is a, a such a, an important question, and we have developed a, a series of, of resources. I, there's not a manual per se, which I think is something that our colleague um, offered, but we do have um, some webinars. We have some uh, quick uh, tips, if you will, on, a, on a, a website specifically about creating a culture of care uh, very specific faculty and teaching uh, resources, and um, it's it's a uh, a rich collection of um, information. And so, I will share it with our our sponsors here today, so it can be shared with all the participants. I think it'll be particularly uh, helpful resource, and it's a part of this work too. Is as Angela said, to get out and share this information and uh, make it um, accessible and available regularly. Here's another question that just came up. Um, I didn't know this was an issue, but it says, why is the reason for the high need for mental health services from senior class students? That's a great question. I noticed that as I was looking, yeah. <laughs> as I was looking at the data. Um, it's, a, I think, a combination of factors. I think one is that the longer the university, the more aware you are of your student mental health needs. And so the symptoms tend to unfold with time and and that senior that junior and senior population is is really um the sweet spot is not is not capturing it perfectly but the the it is really the time where the majority of of, of mental illness uh, fully uh, presents itself so i think it's a it's partly a demographic and also partly what we call an allosteric load issue which is the longer you are experiencing stressors, the more likely it is that those stressors are gonna manifest as severe mental illness. Here is a question that we should all think about, is how do we educate the faculty um, to be, not only to be be more knowledgeable, but just to be, to to handle, the way Patty said, to handle uh, mental health like any other medical issue, and to help the students, you know, in their pathway. Is there something, you know, is it something that we should be doing, not just in health sciences, but across the campus to provide better education for our faculty? I mean, because we're trained. Well, I, think it, I think it ties into another question in the chat, which was interesting as well. And David, this is one that, you know, I'm going to flip and ask you, because you've talked about this a lot, is how, how do we change the campus in general so that our students don't end up feeling so anxious and stressed. I mean, there's a lot of things going on that are driving up their anxiety and their stress. Um, And we see it, you know, Jeff talked about this, as soon as a student ends on on campus, you know, the demand for services goes up a a lot. So what can we do as a campus? And I know Angela's thought a lot about this too. And so as Allison, what do we do do as a campus to de-stress and create a more, you know, more cult, uh, more um, nurturing culture. I think one of the things we can help our faculty is make sure they have easy awareness of the resources they can give to students. So you have some faculty who really want to help students, but they're not quite sure how to direct them or get effective support for them. So I think we need to help that part as well. Um, then it may be partly also recognizing the stress that the faculty are under and acknowledging their own mental health needs. And that if they're doing well, they may have more empathy for the students. Uh, so I think it's a complicated space. I think it's a really important one to explore. Um, we see it 
even with physical challenges with COVID sometimes the students, you know, they're, we're telling them if you have symptoms, stay home, don't expose anyone. And yet they're afraid to miss a lab or a test. And that's not what we want them to do. So we need faculty to support that. And that leads right into supporting students with acute mental health crises or needs or need a little extra time. And so the Office of Student Disability helps a little bit. I think this is just having more and more conversations and just totally raising the overall campus awareness of mental health and the benefit of mental health wellness and more support services. So it's a great question. I think it's an area we need to really explore uh, and spend some energy um, on. It looks like you want to say something also. Yes, you know, I mean, I one one thing that I that strikes me as a, a critical step forward, and you know, I've just this is my fourth year at UC San Diego. So I wasn't here when the campus strategic plan uh, came together, but just calling out our vision to be student-centered and inviting faculty and staff um, and and students, but particularly our our, um, faculty to think about what does student-centeredness look like in the course of their day-to-day engagement with students, either in the lab or, or in their classroom. And and reflecting on the incredible influence um, and authority that they hold um, in the eyes of our students. And it may be towards the point that Dr. Sosha made, you know, how can we continue to engage faculty in this important conversation, knowing how critical they are to the solution? I think also, you know, encouraging our, uh, our continued uh, examination of the student experience from the equity, diversity, and inclusion lens, our are we a welcoming uh, community? Are we celebrating um, uh, one another? Are we uh, gracious and forgiving and, and open-minded? I, I, I saw one of our um, alumni um, colleagues who's been engaged in the board offer a question to us, but that um, Neville talks about, you know, how are we expressing um, love in our community and, and showing gratitude and through service? And, you know, I, I know that I... Um, and, um, you know, speaking, um, you know, um, from my heart in this regard, but I, I think it's inviting others to do the same and creating space for fun and celebration and um, intentionally building those moments into our work together at UC San Diego, because it also has benefits for faculty and staff um, health and well-being as well. So looking at the student experience in and outside of the classroom, um, you know, are we using our space in a way that um, encourages student activity? Um, uh, are we um, inviting um, students uh, to um, uh, take time for a walk? Are we um, asking students to, um, you know, make space in their schedule, not for one more class or one more lab, but, you know, to connect with others? And that's very, very important and requires our symbolic and resource um, contributions. It requires leaders to, to model that um, and celebrating faculty who, who do that and uplifting student-centeredness very strategically on our campus. It is a cultural change and it will require um, many um, all of us you know, uh, working uh, towards that. It seems like um, whether it's student mental health or um, physician burnout, there's always like two levels. There's the what is the institution doing to reduce the stress? Well, what are the things that, that causes stress? And then the second is to give the individual more resilience. 
but but sometimes we skip the first step because we don't want to take, <laughs> take you know be responsible and we immediately go we need to make people more resilient but i think there are a lot of things we can change within the structure of the institution to make it easier for whether it's students you know or or or, or physicians there are a whole series of questions um about, uh, I, I think I d- introduced it by mistake, precision psychiatry. About, what, what, what is the example? Let me just give you some, some of the questions. Maybe, maybe Jeff and other people can put it together. The idea of like, you know, we know more about the brain now than we did in the past. How, what are the good examples where, you know, where something similar to the ability to use precision medicine for treating cancer that we can use precision medicine for treating um, uh, mental health issues? I'm glad I didn't get that question. It's it's a great question. I think we can we we should think about approaching it um, many ways. Um, some of it is is actually what is between our ears. In other words, that that wonderful organ we call the brain, and understanding the brain, and 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 being able to use some of our advanced method for, methods for understanding what the brain looks like and the physiology of the brain um, to determine who a has a mental illness. Um, can we use much like Patty Mason mentioned how we identify diabetes by looking at, at, at blood sugar? Um, can we um, understand a brain biomarker that tells us who is either at risk for developing mental illness or who actually has mental illness? So that's the first part. And then the second part of precision medicine is, is understanding who is likely to respond to treatment? As I mentioned in an earlier slide, can you look at these, these brain biomarkers to determine who is nine times out of 10 likely to respond to treatment? And that's the, the key to the predictive analytics. Now, there is something before we, we, we turn to complicated analyses, um, particularly those involving the brain, there are analyses that we can collect very um, soon, immediately that are just under our nose. In other words, if a student is not attending class, if a student is spending a lot of time on the online environment, if a student marks are suffering, those are all um, probably as good predictors of, of, of personal suffering that the student is facing in relation to mental health needs. And being able to use those, those, um, those ecological data points to help us um, really understand the student population and understand those at highest risk. I think the the importance here is early intervention. The faster we can get services to students, the faster we can we can make sure that we get ahead of the of the crises so that so that no mental struggles turn into crises down the road. Thank you. There are a couple of very specific questions about caps, which I'm surprised at People who know what the acronym CAPS stands for. <laughs> so, so maybe uh, we can start with Angela. And the specific questions include um, what are we doing about waiting times? You know, it, it has the have the waiting times gone up? And Patty's also shake, shaking her head. Maybe also Patty can address this also. Um, you know, um, is there something we've done furthermore about um, the providers that there's a more diverse, you know, welcoming group of providers for our diverse student body? So I'll let, I'll let Angela and Patty please comment. Sure. Yeah, no, this is a key priority for us. And we, we are making progress. We're not where we want to be. Um, we've been able to bring down the times for initial evaluations used to be two weeks down to a week. We have been quite surprised this fall how many students very early on within days of reaching campus have asked for mental health services. 
Um, and we are building the team and we're trying to come up with a lot of ways to provide interval support for students as we bring them in. Um, our recruitments have been very successful. As I mentioned, three new folks will start this summer. I mean, this, this month, we added five people over the summer and we have four open recruits. We brought on two black um, LCSWs who have great skill sets and have added to the diversity in a racial profile. We'll have our first transgender pro, uh, provider joining us in a couple weeks. Actually, I think it's a week now. Um, we have um, uh, some providers who are focused on the LGBT community. We have multilingual providers. Um, so we um, offer, we have a Mandarin service. So uh, provider. So we are trying to do this. It's in the background, though, of a huge demand from mental health providers. We have to be realistic. And there is a lot of competition out there. Um, we've worked very hard to bring our salaries up to also create a good professional workspace. So these things are all being done to increase access um, for the students, it is a priority and we are making progress. Um, we have um, brought the ratio of providers to students down into an acceptable number, close to one to a thousand. We actually like to bring that even lower. Um, so hopefully that helps a little bit. That, yeah, that was terrific. The only things I'd add is that we do watch this very carefully. So we do have, you know, what we call KPIs or, you know, we have a dashboard and we're watching the, these numbers very carefully. Um, our chancellor likes to see the dashboard as well. And we're working really hard to, to, to meet the uh, metrics that we've set up relative to access. And, and uh, I think the challenge though, and Angela has said it, and it's true throughout the entire industry, frankly, it's true in the country, um, is there is a massive manpower shortage. Um, and that's true in healthcare in general, it's true in mental health services in particular. And uh, so it is really, really hard, but, but I think the team has been um, quite successful at, at um, recruiting a diverse group of providers who will relate well to students and, and we're gonna keep working on it. And then we're gonna layer on tele on top of it to help uh, expand services and access as well. Thank you. Uh, um, then there are questions about different types of therapies, and I will, I'm gonna say them and hope someone recognizes them. <laughs> Jeff's smiling, so I think he can handle this. Um, so is mindfulness-based stress reduction therapy available? Let's start with that one. And maybe you can say what it is. Maybe you can also put that in context of other types of interventions. Sure, so mindfulness um, has been a, a modality that has been used in the last, um, probably in the last five or seven years and, and really gained prominence and, and actually derives from some, you know, ancient uh, Buddhist principles, which involves being, being very centered um, and, and focused on, on the here and now. Um, we actually conducted a trial that we're hoping to bring to the students um, in, in was specifically in the youth population that, 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 integrated being mindful with cognitive behavioral therapy. And it was provided in an online environment and demonstrated that youth who receive this form of treatment, in addition to um, typical psychiatric care, did extraordinarily well compared to typical psychiatric care alone. So these are the, the, some of the areas of innovation and, and new modalities that, that we can introduce. And, and who would have thought five or 10 years ago that you can deliver these advanced treatments exclusively in an online environment. It was, it was just 
presumed that that could only be done face to face. And now we're realizing what can be done in the future through technology and, and hopefully something that we, we continue to innovate towards. Maybe it, 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 to, to, to complete the cycle, maybe, maybe you can mention a little bit about TMS and what do you think TMS fits in to, to um, you know, mental health in general, but student mental health specifically. Sure. So um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, as I mentioned, our, our pharmacology is effective, but our pharmacology um, is limited in the student health population and pharmacology in, in a strange way actually exacerbates some suicidal thinking. Um, if you're under the age of, of 25, the data suggests that, that antidepressants can exacerbate suicidal thinking fourfold. And so how does one reconcile that? How do we continue to offer treatments to our patients that may not be working or may exacerbate the suicide risk? And the, the step from pharmacology to, to advanced treatments was huge. In other words, there weren't many advanced treatments and we were really challenged to offer anything uh, more. In the last decade or so, transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a treatment that can be delivered every day is very safe, very effective, and delivered within minutes um, with virtually no side effects is something that has gained national prominence. Um, it, it has worked in, in our limited experience with our student mental health population here in our clinics. It has worked extremely well, and I think it has a lot to do with how resilient the brains are of students. As you get older, your brain responds less to these positive um, stimuli, which result in neuroplasticity, and the, and the youth brain is exquisitely sensitive to, to, to um, innovation that translates into enhanced neuroplasticity. I know I'm complicating things, but just to say that these are novel treatments that both have antidepressant effects, anti-suicidal effects, and are, are safe and very well tolerated in our student population. Um, here's a kind of technical question, probably from a parent. Um, it, it, students can either be covered by SHIP or covered by their parents' insurance. A and the, the question was, does it matter? Does the type of care available matter? Is it easier or harder for them to get care depending upon you know, how they choose to get in the system? So, so I'll first open to both Patty and then Angela. Yeah, I think um, so. Obviously, ship ship. Uh, ship I'm sorry, I should have said that. Yeah, ship ship is the student health insurance yeah. uh, product, which are um, I think 50% or so of our students are covered by, and, and and they're treated through student health and can come to our health system as as well as others. Um, many of the students are covered by Kaiser, and so in that sense, it makes it. Um, I won't say it makes it harder, it just makes it a little bit more logistically challenging to coordinate because they are going to receive their care at Kaiser. Um, and they have to, you know, students that are covered by commercial insurance and not ship, you know, have to navigate making sure that they're going to providers that are in their network and, and that kind of thing. So I think they do have to navigate that. Um, but we, you know, we'd like to be in a position to take care of those those students as much as possible. Angela, did I cover yeah. that? Yep. Yeah. No, it's a nice summary. And actually this year we're a little better, 56% of students. This is the highest number we've seen are in the UC SHIP program. But I want to remind folks that CAPS is without any cost to any student. So there is no financial barrier there. 
Similarly, our health promotion services are not associated with any cost to the student. Um, the chancellor and the health system, thank you, Patty, support the college mental health program, providing some extra resources there. So that is not a barrier to those students who have some of the most complex mental health needs, and we are able to provide them care regardless of their insurance. Now, it is true when you're in a very managed program, they may want you such as Kaiser there. But for students, even students on Medi-Cal, we are able to provide them access to support. And we've created a referral center in our CAPS team, which links and knows which providers in the community will accept which insurance plans. So we're trying to take that into account. But the first layer of services on campus is at absolutely no cost to the students. And um, we really are able, when we have a student in significant need, the college mental health program, we don't have any financial barriers there. So we're trying to not that be the barrier to our students. Great. For, for the last question, I'd like everyone to give an answer. It's, it, it's um, a question of how do we know if we're doing a good job? How do we measure performance of student mental health? Um, and that I imagine each of you come from a different perspective about what you would consider a successful program and successful um, intervention. Obviously, the the metrics that uh, Patty and Angela spoke to are critical. We all um, abide by those in terms of um, wait time and, you know, access. It's particularly critical. I also think about, um, you know, we know we're, we're doing a good job when students continue to utilize our services right, and, and reflect on their impact um, in terms of achieving their um, dreams at, at UC San Diego. Uh, for me, too, I think about when um, students refer programs to their peers. That's a particularly important indicator to me and want to work with us as partners in the delivery of those programs. Jeff, would you like to, what would you, what would you consider successful? Success um, in this population is making sure that students get rapid access to care. Um, in other words, if a student needs um, to see a psychiatrist, they can see a psychiatrist rapidly. If they need to see um, a psychologist, they can see or, or someone to provide therapy that we can we can do so and respond as quickly as possible. So response is, is definitely one um, key marker of, of a successful program. Uh, then there's the second, which is when students uh, receive care, are we making an impact on their lives? And we can track that through a variety of tools to measure their symptomatology so that we can use objective ratings, much like how you would use blood sugars to track how effective your hypoglycemic strategies are. We would use scales to track people's mood, to track their suicidality, to track their well being. Um, and then hopefully, in one day in the future, we'll be able to use some of these predictive analytics that that I, we, we keep referring to, to be able to demonstrate that students are now engaging in more activities um, uh, on their campus to see them socialize more, to see them exercising more, to see their marks improve. Not that marks are the be all end all, but, mm -hmm. but that's one dimension of, of their wellness. And, and when, you when, when taken in whole, I think we, we, we notice that students are suffering when, when all of those factors are limited and students improve when we take into consideration their entire milieu and, and track their, their improvement. Patty, as a CEO, how, how do you decide whether it's successful or not? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And I was actually thinking as a as a mom and not a, yes. not a <laughs> fair enough as a mom, how you decide that's successful, you know, that our, you know, our students are ha- happy and healthy and, you know, balanced and, you know, not feeling overly stressed and, and moving moving on with their lives. I, I do think that the other thing that's come up a lot in the chat today um, is is the idea of equipping the campus. Um, to creating an environment, and I, I've seen a lot in here on on faculty. Um, and it, it's a good it's a good reminder to us that as we think about this, we have to be equipping our faculty and staff to take care of students in a way that um, you know I think they'll feel more comfortable if we can provide more education. Yeah. So I'll, we'll take that note. Yeah, that that was a good point, uh, Angela. Last word. I'm not sure I can add more to this. I think this is a great vision, and I think we're all committed to. Cr- you know, providing this care for our students, but also leading in the science, because this is a space that needs enormous amount of work to be done. And we've positioned ourselves with the integrated health, um, you know, record, all the tools, we can put all these things together and really do some amazing things for the students of the future. That's, I think, one of the most exciting things. Thank you. So on that optimistic note, um, I want to thank um, our audience for asking really great questions. I want to thank our panelists for a great discussion. And this is an incredibly important topic um, now more than ever. So, You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.